Turn in your Bible, please, to the text of tonight's message, Jeremiah 8, verse 20. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 20. Jeremiah the 8th chapter, verse 20. I want to speak this evening on the subject, the harvest is passing away. The harvest is passing away. May we bow together in prayer, please. Our Father, we thank Thee for these wonderful songs that have spoken to our souls, brought spiritual nourishment. We pray Thou wilt take away anything that would distract and focus our heart's attention upon the Lord and the things of God, the things of the Word of God. Give us a holy urgency about the work and about the service You've given us to do. O oh God, tonight may Thy Holy Spirit move across the heartstrings of Your people. We do not know who here does not know the Lord Jesus, has never been saved, but Thy Spirit knows that person. We pray Thou will draw with the bands of God's love. And may every believer be drawn close to Your heart, and may we yield all there is of us to Thee. Save the lost. And, Lord, get the saved in the will of God. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. When they said to, when Jesus said to his disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Some of them said, Well, you're, you're Jeremiah. You're Jeremiah. I wonder why they thought Jesus was Jeremiah. We know a lot about Jeremiah. Among the things we know, he was the weeping prophet. He said one day, oh, that my eyes were just a fountain of water, that I might weep for the affliction of my people day and night. God gave him one of the strangest assignments anybody in the entire Bible ever had. He said to him, I called you before you were ever born. I knew you when you were in your mother's womb. Before you were ever shaped, I had my hand on you. And I called you to be a prophet to the nations. But Jeremiah, they won't listen. They won't believe. They won't repent. But I want you to go and preach anyway. And for years, Jeremiah went down to Jerusalem and preached. There came a time in his life when he was a little bit discouraged. I guess that comes in everybody's life. And he said, Lord, you've deceived me. Ever since I started preaching, ever since I started talking, ever start, since I started giving the message, men have reviled me. They've persecuted me. They've thrown me in dungeons, and they wanted to kill me, and I've despaired of my life. Lord, I'm going to quit. Just quit. But then that scripture says the word of God was in his bones like a fire, and he couldn't quit. And do you know, when God's word is in your bones like a fire, you can't quit. There may be discouragements. There may be some hard times. There may be days when speak, people do not speak well of you. There may be times when people do not understand you. 
There may be times when you're blasphemed or you're cursed or you're sworn against. Or maybe some of your closest relatives or loved ones or friends don't understand you. Wonder why you do what you do in the Lord's work. Jeremiah said, the fire, the word of God was in my bones like a fire and I couldn't quit. He preached for 40 years to Jerusalem. 40 years. There's no record of anybody, maybe other than Baruch, his secretary, or amanuensis. No evidence of anybody repenting. No evidence of any great revival. Matter of fact, things just went down, 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 down. That's hard. Even Jonah, the runaway prophet, went back to Nineveh and preached and saw the greatest revival the world has ever held, ever seen in the city of Nineveh when the king down to the lowest people in the city repented in sackcloth and ashes and God saved the city. That did not happen in Jeremiah's day. You see, we dare not equate success with God's will, nor dare we equate problems with being out of God's will. You can't say it like that. Jeremiah preached for 40 years in the will of God, and the things went down, 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 until finally the Babylonian hordes came in and surrounded the city of Jerusalem and led the, cap the, the people of God captive, and they went into 70 years of captivity. Jeremiah was that preacher who had preached and urged the people to repent, and to turn to God, and had warned them over and over and over and over again, harvest is passing away. Harvest is passing away, but they would not listen. In one of his messages, he said this, Jeremiah 8, 20, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. The summer is past, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. <clears throat> harvest is passing away. One week from today, summer of 1984 will be history. September 23rd, the sun will pass the fall equinox and usher in the autumn of this year. We cannot live this summer again. We cannot live these days over again. It's gone forever. Everything about the summer of 1984 will be only memories. And the investments and those thoughts and those actions that have been etched on our minds and on the lives of others because we have passed their way, it will be there. The finger having written will move on. And there's nothing we can do to erase it. All the blessings, all the blights, all the victories, all the defeats, all the things that would make us feel good, and all the shame, it's all there. And it will be over, and we cannot go back to it. And the opportunities that we've had will all be gone, and we go into a fall, 1984, and soon 1985. And as we see these days passing so quickly, We'll soon see 1986 and 87 and 88 if the Lord tarry. But the point of this thought 
the harvest is soon passing. The harvest is passing away. We have one week left of summer. What are you going to do with that week? We have in life just a little while to accomplish the purposes and plans that God has for us. What will we do with it? In these next months here at Glendale, we're going to go into a harvest revival. We're praying that God will touch the membership. God will touch the lives of His people. God will touch us who are gathered here tonight. God will touch others of our Sunday school people, others of our Trinity Union people, others of our membership who do not come very often and move upon their hearts that there might be revival. And then it is our prayer that God would move through us into the lives of others, the 80,000 people that live in Warren County. And on any given Sunday, fewer than 10,000 go anywhere to Sunday school. 70,000 people in this area who do not have a spiritual <clears throat> anchor that leads them to God's house Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Many of them say I'm saved. Many of them say I'm a Christian. But there's no spiritual power. Oh, that God would send revival, that God would move in this city and in this county and bring revival. And the revival has to come among God's people. You, me, we have to get revived. Somebody said, anybody can have a personal revival anytime he wants to. Draw a circle. Get in that circle. Confess every known sin. Get our minds in neutral gear so we're not telling God what to do. And we simply say, Lord, I'm yours. What wilt thou have me to do? And that's revival in that individual heart. When things are right between our heart and God's heart, and we're willing to get things right between our heart and the hearts of other people, then there'll be revival. And when revival comes, God will be honored. The church will be built. Souls will be saved. Finances will come. The Lord's name will be exalted. And Jesus will get the glory and the honor. The harvest is past. The summer is ended and we're not saved. That was the terrible message that Jeremiah brought to the people. Now, as we think of this, in these next few moments, let me give you quickly some thoughts about the passing of the harvest. Number one, the harvest of youth is passing away. It'll all be gone soon. Youth is one of the great times of life. We have a number of young people here tonight. I'd like to ask everybody that's under 25 years of age to stand up a moment. Everybody in this auditorium, 25 and under, stand up just a moment. Would you do that? Just look at this. A large group of folks all across this auditorium. Tremendous. Thank you very much. Now, young people, I want to say to you, the harvest of your youth time will soon be gone. Everybody looks forward to being 18. People can hardly wait when they're 11, 12, 13, 14. They want to be 18. They want to be 18. They want to move toward 18. And then there are a few that get 18 and want to move toward 21. That's not as much as it used to be. But when you pass 21, everybody wants to be 18 again. They want to move backward. There's no way in all God's world that anybody that's 24, 25, 26, 36, 46, 86 can move back to be 18 again. 
the harvest of that youth time will soon be gone. And I want to encourage you tonight to take advantage of that youth time while you have it. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. There's coming a day when your youth will be gone. Youth is a wonderful time of life. It's a time of seed sowing. It's a time of habit formation. It's a time of planting in your life those seeds and, and habits that will be harvested all through the years ahead. And in Ecclesiastes 11:9, God says, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes, but know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. You can go on and live the way you want to live. You can sow your wild oats. You can sass your mother and daddy. You can disobey them. You can dishonor them. You can bring shame upon them. You can be unfaithful to that pledge you've made in your heart. You can take your pills. You can so to speak, eat your cigarettes. You can guzzle your beer and drink your whiskey. You can have promiscuous relationships with guys and girls. You can do all of that, but that know thou that for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. And the harvest of this youth time will reap a terrible, terrible harvest later on if you've not yielded it all to Jesus. I want to plead with you tonight put your life, your youth, on the line for God this evening. You can sow the wild oats. You can do all these things, but God says he will bring you into judgment. The harvest of youth is soon passing away. I have a note on my desk. I keep it with me. It was a little letter that I got after I preached a message like this one night. I found it after the service. I found it on the pulpit the next, the next service after I'd preached. I was in a revival. Why do I tremble when people ask me to be saved? Why do I say, no, I am not saved? It's embarrassing. I can't help it if God don't want me to be saved. People can't blame it all on me if I go to hell. I don't want to go to hell, but he is going to send me there, and I know it. I'm a terrible sinner. I don't want to be lost. It's just that nobody can help me. I need a Savior so bad. I want one. I will come if he tells me. I can't do something, but I'm not told to do. I just can't get saved. Signed, a sinner. And I take it from its handwriting that that's a young person. Somebody in the early years of life who had gone away from God and had gotten a heart hardened and said, I can't get saved. I can't do something that God won't call me to do. Well, I want to tell you tonight, beloved friend, every person in this room tonight has issued a call for salvation, whoever you are. I do not know who you are. I do not know who all will be here. I did not know who all would be here tonight. But I know God impressed my heart to bring this message. The harvest of youth is passing away and the greatest time in all the world to be saved is why you're a young person. That's the reason the Word of God says, remember now thy creator of the days of thy youth. I plead with you tonight, 
If anything like this thought, that letter expressed has come to your heart or mind, go make a beeline for Calvary. There's mercy, there's cleansing, there's forgiveness. God loves you. God wants to save you. Whoever you are, you can be saved. Don't wait for God to lasso you. Don't make wait for God to knock you down and drag you out. You come with your sins and your shame and your hurt and your sorrow and your, and your failures and your fumbles and just come and say, Lord, I fumbled the ball. I want to get back in the game. I want to give my heart to you. And God will forgive and cleanse. The harvest of youth all too soon passes away. But not only does the harvest of youth pass, the harvest of reapers passes. Special people who have concern for your soul. Did you know that every Saturday morning, almost every Saturday morning, for years and years and years, some of our men have knelt here and prayed. And two names have been on that prayer list all these years. And even just yesterday, their names were called again to God. God is, God honors prayer. But I've said to those two men in personal witnessing, I've said there's coming a day when the people who care about you, the people who are concerned about you, they'll be gone. They'll either be gone to heaven or God will remove that burden and it'll not be there anymore. The harvest time when there are special reapers dealing with people, urging them to come to Christ, that harvest time will all too soon be gone. If you're here tonight and you have somebody that cares about you, somebody that loves you, somebody who has pled for your soul, someone who has come and sowed the seed of the good word of God in your heart over and over again, remember that that too soon will be gone. The harvest of special reapers passes away. It'll be gone. But there's another thought I want to leave with you. The harvest of God dealing with lost souls passes. Now by that mean, I mean there comes a conviction. You know nobody can be saved except the Holy Spirit draw them. And there's a tide taken in the affairs of men which can lead on to fortune. That's a literary expression. But there's a truth in which God's dealing with a lost soul will pass. Here's an illustration of this. Have you ever had the kind of pain that just so severely touched you and it, that pain was so severe you could hardly stand it and then it let up? And you didn't have that pain any longer. Sometimes pain comes again and then it lets up. Now the conviction of the Holy Spirit is painful. It is God putting his finger in a man's heart and saying you're lost. You're without God. You're without hope. You need something you do not have. And sometimes that conviction is a faster pulse beat or a heartbeat. Or sometimes it's a sense of moral depravity or moral failure or moral bankruptcy. Or sometimes it's just some kind of a strange feeling. A man used to tell me, you bug me, preacher. You bug me. He told me that a lot of times. I said, I hope you never get to a point where you don't get bugged anymore. That's the Holy Spirit conviction. 
I remember before I was saved, I'd go to church. The preacher would preach. He'd point his finger out there. And I felt uncomfortable. I didn't know what the problem was, but I thought, I don't like this church. I don't like what's going on. I'm not coming back. That man just is pointing at me. And I would leave the service, decided I wasn't going to come back. And that very Sunday night, I was back because God's Spirit was drawing me. It was conviction. And oh, how grateful I am to this very night that early in my life, I asked Christ to come into my heart while that conviction finger was on my heart. I want to say to you tonight, the conviction of God will not always be there. God will not always strive with men. His Spirit will not always strive in the heart. And God's special conviction in your heart all too soon will be gone. The harvest of that conviction will be gone. But I want to say another word to you tonight. The harvest of opportunity will be gone. The harvest of opportunity. And this makes me weep a lot. This makes me pray a lot. I don't know of anything that drives me to my knees more often than this very thought. The harvest of opportunity will pass. A hundred years will finish us all off if the Lord tarries. Not any of us will be here a hundred years from now. We'll be gone. We just have the opportunity to serve for a little while. Some may have that opportunity 10 years, 20 years, 80 years, 90 years, but after a while it'll all be gone. The harvest of opportunity passes. We just have this one life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You and I, have just this one time that we pass this way. And isn't it strange that God didn't put us in Burma? He didn't put us in New York. He didn't put us in New Orleans. He didn't put us in London. He put us in Bowling Green. And everyone in this room tonight is going to be asked for an account one day. What did you do with that harvest time I gave you while you were in Bowling Green. What did you do? What did you do with your finances? Did you spend your money just on your family, on your friends? Did you spend your money just trying to pay your bills and trying to keep up? Is that what you spent your money for? Or did you honestly make investments with the reserves I gave you? We say, Lord, I didn't have very much. But God says, what did you do with what you had? One day Jesus stood over, stood over against the treasury and there came a precious lady. I guess there had been a lot of people giving offerings that day. One came giving this and one came giving that and maybe they'd given a whole lot of money. And I don't know what all, but, but all of a sudden Jesus said to his disciples, hey, come here, come here, I want to show you something. And the disciples came and Jesus said, look, look at this woman. Behold, she hath given more than they all. All they said, Lord, we don't understand. Why, why We've watched people come by and given hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars, and, and all we see is a little, little tiny coin here. What do you mean she's given all? All the Lord said, she has given more than they all because she gave her all. She gave her all. That's what the Lord wants. I don't mean God doesn't want us to pay our bank notes and car payments and house payments and utilities and all that kind of thing. Of course God does. But my friend, God wants us to put him at the top of the list. He's very first. 
And when we do not treat him as first, it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. And the way God could use us is greatly dimmed, greatly diminished. That's true in individuals. That's true in families. I've known some families who were selfish. A family needs something. And we just pass that family by and don't help them. A family has a death. And somebody dear at the church calls and says, would you please take some beans or corn or chicken or something over to this family just to let them know we care? And the answer is, I can't do that. I don't have any food in the house. I don't have this. I can't do that. Oh, my friend, you pass up an opportunity. And the harvest of opportunity passes. God gives us that opportunity to reach into somebody's heart, somebody's home, when it's mellowed by sorrow and by tears. And who knows, when we go in Jesus' name, at a time like that, God could use that to repair breaches. And God could use that to touch those who are lost. Opportunities. That happens in families. It happens in individual lives. It happens in nations. I don't know what's going to be the outcome of America in the years ahead. I want to tell you I'm thankful to be American. I'm so grateful for this great nation. I love it. I recognize that Americanism and Christianity are not synonymous. I recognize that there are great Christians that live in other parts of the world. There are great Christians that live in China. There are great Christians that live in Russia. And when we say we love America, we're patriotic, and we thank God for America, we do not in any way mean that we take away from the greatness of God's people in other nations. But America is the only nation I've ever read about that was founded by godly principles, on the principles of the Word of God. This nation is a great nation. Its greatness came about because of the goodness of the people, because we went to the Word of God, and God said, Thou shalt not, and America wrote that in the law. And another, God said, Thou shalt not, and our early fathers wrote that in the law. And others, Thou shalt do this, and we wrote that in the law. And if you will examine the early laws of America, almost all of them that dealt with morality, that dealt with principles, that dealt with the way God would judge, that the way we would judge one another, dealt with the way God would judge us because they dug those principles from God's holy word. The early framers of our Constitution did it. The writers of the Declaration of Independence did it. The early judges on the Supreme Court did it. Some of the presidents of the United States have done it. I don't know what's going to happen to America as we veer away and away from God. Somebody said we no longer stand at a crossroads. We've made a decision. We've turned our back on God. We've thumped our nose at God. We've turned to our own way. And I might say, and I hope you'll understand this. I don't mean to be misunderstood tonight. But this nation on November 6th will face a great opportunity to cast votes concerning moral principles that we have not had opportunity to deal with in generations and generations. We need to pray for America. The opportunity America has 
is only for a little while. When Abraham Lincoln was stumping for his second term as president of the United States, the Chicago Tribune wrote these words, half a century hence, to have lived today will be fame, to have served this age well, immortality. And we know that's true. Anybody that lived in that Civil War era and served that period well has earned a place in the annals of recorded time that will go on and on and on forever. We live at such a time as that. Anybody that lives in the 1980s and serves this age well and does what we can to draw America back to God and, and we do what we can at the ballot and in our voice and in our opinions, we do what we can to help this great nation in all of its, all of its contortions and all of its problems and we help to bring the principles of God back to America. Half century hence, if the Lord tarries, you'll be famous, certainly in the annals of God. But that also is true in the lives of churches. We have an opportunity as a church to make an impact on this city, make an impact on this county, make an impact on this world. We have an opportunity. What will we do with that opportunity? We have an impact, opportunity to make an impact at Western University. We have an opportunity, but the harvest of that opportunity is passing away. We just have a little lifetime. We just have a little while. And, oh, I come to God red-faced, blushing and ashamed so many times with tears deep in my soul that overflow in my eyes when I think of I, the time I've been in this city and how little I've done and how little we've done, and how little we've done, and how much there needs to be done. Oh, God, don't let the harvest time pass before we have opportunity to do what God wants done. How are we going to do it? All of us joining hands to say, Lord, I want to put my life on the line. I want to stand for you. I want to be true to you. And in all the problems that are faced, that we face, in all the difficulties we face, I want to be sure that my hand is in the hand of Jesus, that He is leading me. And I want to be led by the Holy Spirit into all these paths. And I want as our church, as a church, Lord, I want, I want us, and I'm, I'm not speaking of me, but all of us together, Lord, we want, we want the church to make an impact you think of those people up in Kentucky, four out of every five lost. What can we do about it? Well, some of us can go. A few years ago, some of our young people and some adult leaders went up in the Kentucky mountains and held a revival meeting in a Bible school. Some of you in this room were in that group, and God used you, touched lives. Some of our groups go to Texas and Mexico personally. Thank God for that. But we can also send missionaries. We can give our funds so that we can send missionaries. We've been challenged to give $800 for this Kentucky mission offering. We ought to do it. Reach down deep and give it for the glory of God. And beloved, I don't believe it's God's will for this church that God wants to honor and God wants to bless and God wants to use for us to be stingy with God in our giving. Do you think that? I, want, I believe God wants us to be hilarious in our giving. And do you know that every one of us can tithe his income? Tithing is one of the most equitable
means of support that has ever been devised. Maybe the most equitable. You make a dollar, 10 cents of it belongs to God. You make $10, one dollar of it belongs to God. You make $50, five of it belongs to God. You make $100, 10 of it belongs to God. You make $1,000, 100 of it belongs to God. And if you keep records like God keeps records, they'll give you a joy in your life. Not just in giving that minimum amount of a tithe, but on and on and on as we give more and more and more, the blessings get more and more and more. God will bless. The harvest, when we have that opportunity, will soon be gone. There won't be any souls to reach for Christ in heaven. When the harvest is over, there won't be anybody else we can win to Jesus. When we're there, it'll all be past. All that opportunity, it'll all be gone. Now, that's after the Lord comes. But before He comes, there is still opportunity. For example, when we die as Christians, we can let the harvest of our lives go on a little while longer by writing into our will how our resources are going to be used after we're gone. And a lot of times we just pass it on to our children or our grandchildren or to some, somebody that we thought a lot of in life, and that's good. Nothing wrong with remembering them, but let's remember God's work in our wills. Let's write it down. Get you an attorney and say, I want you to show me how to fix this so that after I'm gone, some of the resources God has let me use until Jesus comes can go on and on and on honoring Christ. That's part of the harvest. The harvest is all too soon passing away. Jesus said, Why well, say ye that there are yet four months and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. Look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. They're white already to harvest. The harvest is all about us. That boy that visited the service this morning who is lost, he's part of the harvest, who will go visit him this week. That lady that left the church service this morning lost. I saw her. She left lost. Who's going to go visit her this week? Who will go enter into God's harvest? Thank the Lord for the harvesters that come on Thursday and others that go on other days of the week. And those bus harvesters that come on Saturday and go out and knock on doors and try to reach people, thank God for them. But there needs to be more. We need more, more, more. We need men and women who cry, Oh God, give me a little bit more opportunity to go before the harvest is over. Would you enter into that harvest? No, it's white. The fields are white. What will we do with what's left of our life? Shall we give it to Jesus and say, Lord, use me? Or shall we keep it for ourselves and say, Lord, I'm tired. Somebody else can take up the burden and work. I'm tired. I'm just going to quit. I read about a missionary who served many, many long years in India. He was from England. He came back to London. He was an old man, white-haired. They had to help him to the pulpit. He had just come back. He had given 60 years in that nation. He preached, and at the end of his message, he cried out, who'll go, who'll go? 
who'll go? Who'll go for us? I hear the voice of God. Who'll go? And then he said, Lord, I'll go. I'll go back to the Ganges. And I'll sit down there by that river. And I'll do everything I can as an old man to try to stop people from going to hell. But oh, he said, is there somebody else here that would join me and go to? My harvest will soon be over. I can't have many more years. Is there somebody else that will enter into that harvest? And that's my message to you tonight. My harvest may soon be over. Some of us have been in it for a while. I want to appeal to you, all of us, to join hands and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to be part of the harvesting crew. I'm going to be part of that group that will go out where the fields are white unto harvest. Lord, you can count on me. I'll serve you. And if you're here tonight and you've never been saved, I appeal to you to come to Christ because the harvest, when you can be saved, will all too soon be gone. May we bow together in prayer, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father, thank you for this precious group tonight here at the house of God and for the receptive way each has listened. Oh God, I pray tonight that thou wouldst raise up harvesters, folks who would say, Lord, you can count on me to go into the fields that are white to try to reach souls for Christ, to let my testimony count, to let my money count on the altar for God. And Lord, if there's someone here tonight who is lost on his way to hell, may thy Holy Spirit draw that one to Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Will you stand, please? God is speaking to hearts tonight. This will not be very long, but I want to make an appeal. I wonder if there's somebody here tonight who would like to say, I may not have been part of the harvest crew, but I want to be. I want God to use me. Whatever way he can, I want God to use me. It may be to be a soul winner. It may be to be a tither. It may be to say, I want my life to count more for God than it ever has been before. I want God to use me. I know the harvest is passing, and I want to be a harvester. And if you're here tonight and you've never been saved, no matter what age you are, I want to appeal to you tonight to come and say, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to let all the things that would keep me from God die. And I want to give my life to Christ. While we sing this song, I surrender all, would you step out for Christ? God help you to do it.